Talking Flutes Extra, with me, Jean-Paul Wright. The opening theme tune, as always, was The Baby Elephant Walk by Henry Mancini, played by the brilliant Barry Griffiths. A huge shout-out must go to our loyal sponsors, TJ Flutes, who have been with us since we began on our podcast journey nearly six years ago. You can show them some flute love by visiting tjflutes.com or by following them on Instagram and TikTok at TJ Flutes and Facebook at Trevor James Flutes. Barry Griffiths is a British flute player and Instagram artist who over the years has won scholarships to study at both Chetham School of Music and the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester. As an orchestral player, he has played under many critically acclaimed conductors. However, Having worked extensively with music technology over the years, Barry has deviated off now and specialises in recording, performing and creating unique arrangements for the flute family repertoire, with his growing community of social media viewers lapping up all these wonderful arrangements and recordings on an almost daily basis. Please give a warm, warm Talking Flutes welcome to their brilliant Barry Griffiths. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. You got your coffee there, sir? Yes, I do. And I very much require it this morning. <laughs> Explain to me what's on that mug. You've got owls or birds or something. Owls. Yes, it's my favourite mug. Well, I'm just on the little red cup. He talks like that on Instagram. Well, he he's, a, he's a geezer. <laughs> he's a geezer. Well, welcome, Barry. You are one of our most requested for previous podcast guests because... As I said in my intro, you started out as very much a classical musician and you've deviated off through your love for technology and you've married that in with social media. And not only have you become an influencer, you've people actually, they, they're lapping up everything you do, especially now you've got into arranging as well. Where did this actually begin? Yeah, well, first of all, like, thank you so much for having me. Like, it's, I love doing these. And yeah, for that, I like it. When I started playing on Instagram, it was mostly for my own benefit, being able to see my own playing, iron out, you know, sort of technical things and just just be able to to see it like it, it adds a, a completely different element to it. Um, but then people started to enjoy it. And, you know, I was, I was really surprised with that and honoured that people were actually listening to my content first and foremost. So, yeah, obviously I was doing a lot of classical works and solos and things like that. But then I started to deviate <laughs> a little bit and uh, experiment and see if I could cross those interests. Because I knew that there were certain interests that wouldn't necessarily align, or at least I, I thought that they wouldn't. And it turns out that they do. <laughs> which, you know, I'm really thankful for. Eventually, I, you know, I uh, gained the confidence to play more film music and uh, video game music and uh, create arrangements for them, and uh, people enjoyed them. And I realised that I really enjoyed 
making those because I didn't at that point I didn't really realize I just knew that I had an interest with them the thing is you start doing things for your own self-worth so you put stuff up as you said you for just for to seeing how it sounds and uh, to iron out all these little things yeah and then you get an audience that audience is because of the way social media works it's an interaction yeah. thing isn't it and then you start doing creating things for others that's when the difficulty occurs because you start creating things and because your ears are getting better and you're wanting to put more stuff out it does tend to become slightly more complicated yeah it's an interesting one because you, you want to put things out for others and you you know you take requests and things like that uh, but it's it's balancing that with what you want to do on a, a given day as well you know there'll be days where I wake up and I don't really know what I'm going to record or, or, or put out and it's a surprise to me by the end of the day <laughs> <laughs> but, but then that's also the, the part of the beauty in it you know but definitely it, it has transitioned to more of a sense of, of community more, more than anything else. And in some ways it, it's collaborative in, in that manner, you know, like, because I'm always, I'm always asking, you know, uh, you know please leave suggestions because there's always going to be something that, that crops up there and be like, actually, that's a brilliant idea. Oh, that would work fantastically, you know. So are, yeah. you, st- are you still doing it for Barry or because you have such a large following, are you now sort of doing it sort of 50% for your audience or is it still totally for you? I think that the community is, is a great thing. And you, like having that there, you know, is why either you keep coming back because it's just such a positive environment. But ultimately I think you have to still do it completely for yourself because then what you're giving out and your intention then is, 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 is genuine, you know, is, is you. That's the most important thing, being genuine, being honest. Yeah. Barry, should we go straight in? We've got lots of questions to, that have been sent oh, really? in because people get quite excited when I, I, <laughs> I sometimes tell people in advance who we've got on. So I'd like to interact some of your pieces with yeah. questions. I've asked you for five or six pieces and you've sent me them in, really interesting ones as well. And I'd like <laughs> to start with the one that actually – we posted it on our Facebook page and it went bananas. Star, yes, Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan, end credits. Yeah. Why choose this one, Barry, apart from the fact that everybody loves it? This one is one that I chose and it's, it's purely for myself. You know, I love these films. I'm a Trekkie. It's one of my favourite films of all time. I love the soundtrack. James Horner is just a genius. This is one of his first, like, real high-end gigs as well. And he absolutely nailed it. But just everything about this film, I absolutely adore. And the process of of creating it from start to finish was just a love letter to it. So let's (laughs) listen to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, end credits, arranged by Barry and also played on every, every instrument you hear on yep, the next yep. recording is actually yep. Barry playing and we'll speak about the the construction of that in a bit. So here we go. Thank you. 
love that one. It's a feel-good one, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. How many instruments yeah. are you playing there? Uh, so that is, that is the full range. That's uh, from piccolo, the copper body concert flute, the copper body alto flute, and the bass flute. And yeah. within there, there's other. You've doubled up on a few things as well, haven't you? Oh, yes. Yeah, there's multiple uh, of each. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what people will need to realise here is that Barry's actually written it as a flute choir. Yeah. But that's fantastic. I really, really like that. And that gives a really good indication of where you have sort of deviated away from the classical. But as we'll hear with some other pieces, you stay within that genre. So it is it's quite interesting crossover. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to our first question from an Amy Zeitner in New York. And she says, can you ask? I like, I like this. She didn't put Barry. She put your <laughs> your online name, which is Grizzly Flute, at Grizzly Flute. And most of you listening to this will know that Barry has a beard and there's probably a Grizzly Bear type influence there. But Amy writes, can you ask Grizzly Flute how he structures his arrangement process after he has decided what he is going to record? What does he do first? Well, first of all, with regards to the, to the name thing, it's quite funny sometimes because sometimes people don't know exactly what to, to call or like when they DM. But the funniest one I think I've got is uh, someone introducing themselves and saying, uh, hey, Miss, Mr. Grizzly. <laughs> Mr. Grizzly. <laughs> Thinking that was your surname, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, with regards to the arrangement process, I think first and foremost, I always uh, try to transcribe the work to the best of my ability um regardless of how familiar i am like orally with work it's always easier to be able to see the actual structure when thinking about it then arranging those parts or when considering voicing distribution or like you know with, between like melody harmony accompaniment after a certain point the arrangement it tends to take on like a life of its own after it's found a voice within those, you know, within those various instruments, uh, you have to consider what does and doesn't work in various ranges for each instrument. If the piece in question was originally intended for the flute family at all, then is, for example, the melody line physically possible? You know, like long <laughs> slurred passages, um, or does it need some form of distribution in order to achieve that similar effect? Uh, or it might need altering, you know, <laughs> to a certain extent. Then there's a case of being able to actually keep things interesting, making sure that certain parts aren't just showing up every now and again to like fill in the gaps. Ultimately, like all the instruments have to be as interesting as possible in the overall mix of the piece and play a meaningful part in it. So it's getting to that point. <laughs> Do you ever come across a piece of music on the radio and think, oh, that would be great to do? Yeah, it's interesting because it's 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 almost like a sixth sense. You hear something and you just, you know, you take in the ranges and, and like you'd be like, this is this would be perfect on piccolo or something like that, you know. So, yeah, that, that's often the case. Like sometimes it'll just be something you listen to could be the most random thing ever. And you you just at least at the very least start an idea on it and then see if it works or not well interesting you say piccolo because there's that standing joke is what sounds uh, worse than one piccolo and it's four piccolos but <laughs> you've actually done an arrangement for four piccolos and it sounds <laughs> wonderful 
<laughs> well, that actually, well, that, that one's not my arrangement. That is from a small section of one of the French flute quartets that I'm currently working on. And I thought the opening, I listened to it and I thought, I think that would work well on Piccolo. <laughs> so and I'd started, you know, recording it down and then it just seemed to work out. But yeah, you, you, you listen to these things and you, you do get a sixth sense for whether it will, you know, potentially work on it. And yes, listeners, four piccolos playing together actually sounds beautiful. <laughs> Bravo, Barry. Should we move on to another one? Now, I like this one. In mm-hmm. fact, I like them all, but there's something quite special about this one and the next one. Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. <laughs> Green Hill Zone. We're going into fantasy land with this, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the, the very first video game consoles I ever had was a Sega Master System. Uh, and depending on which version you got, there was two built-in games, and there's Alex the Kid, or there was Sonic the Hedgehog. My sister is always asking me to do an arrangement for Alex Kid, so I've got to do that very soon, otherwise she, she, she won't be impressed with me. So th- this is very, I mean, I grew up with this series, I absolutely love it, I've been, you know, used to play it all the time. So I, like, I've already got a certain level of familiarity with the tracks even before I started, you know, the arrangement process. And I think that that, that really helps. But there's so much good music in the series that I've not even touched the surface with it. I absolutely love it. And what's interesting is when you listen to this back as a video game, I actually prefer to listen to that the flute music because there's energy in there. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's a way that we listen to the original music and in our imagination, we almost expand on that you know on what their intention would be if they had no limits whatsoever um and i think that's part of the joy when trying to bring something like this to life is what can you add to it or or how can you attempt to fulfill the composer's vision even further you know because the reality is that they were very restricted in what they could do with the hardware at the time but what that you know it's like a limitation breeds creativity though because they're absolute wizards with with what they were able to do with it at the time especially considering some of this uh stuff is the late 80s early 90s or even even earlier than that you know that's when one megabyte was actually a big file wasn't it oh yeah yeah <laughs> floppy, floppy <dick. laughs> so everybody the sonic the hedgehog green hill zone arranged and performed by barry griffiths Thank you. 
Yeah, you listen to that and you can see Sonic the Hedgehog. It's a bit like watching Wacky Races and seeing all the different people within there or the Roadrunner. When you hear the sound, you match it with the cartoon or the video. Funny you said, you said Wacky Races and then like that just instantly went into my head, <laughs> like the intro to that. <laughs> uh, wacky Races, that takes me back to my youth and that's a long time ago, Barry, compared to you. Penelope Pitstop. But yeah, Penelope, Penelope Pitstop and also Clunk. Yes. Oh yes, yeah. What was it? Was the the cape man? Was that? Oh, was that it? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, he, yeah. he was. I think he was in that group, the Antil Mob, wasn't he? Mm. Was he? Yeah, was he the driver or that, something? That's the one. Yeah. God, crikey! God, taking me back <laughs> a long time. Let's move on to a question by Bart Hungerstone from Texas. Do you know I like that name, Bart Hungerstone? Great, great name. Right, he says I'd like to ask Barry about his ability to play so in tune when he is doing these multiple piece recordings. How does he manage this? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. The key thing is to listen as much as you can to reference recordings, just listening to music in general, you know, because it really does get that sense of pitch ingrained into you while you're both practicing the piece and then eventually recording it. Being at a piano or keyboard, like definitely, <laughs> it does help whilst you're going through that process. Sometimes you get a sixth sense for when something isn't quite right and being able to then quickly validate that speeds up the process so when you're recording a part barry do you have something else going on in your ear at the time yeah um so generally once i have a part layered down you're monitoring as it's called you you build it like up up in layers so the nice thing is is that once you've set out sort of a project file you you can essentially build it up more organically yeah Yeah. it it, it does help so when, when you're getting to the top part Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're building it based down, based up, sorry, but sometimes it'll be up down, won't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it really, it really depends on the piece. Sometimes it is, you know, from from the bottom up, upwards, but then it it, it also then depends on distribution of parts and, and, yeah. and you know, what is the most active. It, it doesn't always go that way, but yeah, it really does help when considering natural in the moment elements like dynamics and phrasing or like how much vibrato to use or, or whatever, you know, because if there's a movement going on in the phrasing, you know, you need all those parts to echo that with, you know, equal energy. So how does that work? Do you look at yourself as well because you're playing and recording? Yeah. And if you're doing movement or you're doing some diminuendo or crescendo, yeah, how do you sort of know, bearing in mind the parts you've already recorded? Well, it's it's familiarity after you know sort of uh, practicing a certain part for so long but also my workflow has kind of changed uh, as of late so in an audio workstation I actually plan out projects beforehand you know even down to tempo deviations you know uh, or anything like that so you know I, I can hear all that going on it's a, if you plan out the project a certain amount beforehand it's essentially like having a conductor there with you so it really does help that kind of sense of of playing as a unit, which isn't there if you're just sort of going blind. You know, it's very difficult to do that otherwise. And on a rough guesstimate, how long does it take to record each track, as in each line of the track? Because each line or part, yeah, yeah you're not going to be a one shot man because it's too hard, it's, isn't it? it? 
Yeah, it's difficult. And again, it depends. It really depends on the work in question. There are some that are like that, you know, like you, you practice it enough and you you have a, you build a certain level of confidence with it and you can just lay down that part and then essentially be done with it. But the, some of the more complicated ones, yeah, it, 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 does t- it does take quite a while. To give an amount of time, I don't know, it, it would be too difficult. To be <laughs> to be honest, and to nail down, like if I, if I think back to perhaps the the Star Trek one, gosh, one of those parts might take all in all maybe about an hour or something like that for for one part. But that's a flute choir, and then the, it, once they're all together, then mixing occurs. That's a separate process, you know, like voice balance and panning and and and, and whatnot. It's very complicated. As a, <laughs> as a classical player, you if you're just going to put something up with you and the piano, you're worrying about yourself playing yeah. and mixing with the piano. When there's you playing sometimes 10, 12 parts, there is a hell of a lot of work going on there. Yeah, that, that's the thing, like the, the actual editing process uh, or mixing process rather in and of itself, quite a quite a large task. Uh, and then it's not just the audio mixing. Once you find, basically you want to get to the, to the point then where all of those parts are then mixed down into one file, one usable audio file, right? That's, that's complete that you could potentially just put out there. But then you take that audio file and then you put it into the video editor. And then you've got all the video elements, you know, that you then have to sync up all of them together or or distribute them visually as well. And then add elements like the score, sync up the score, sync up the highlighter to that. And and then what platform are you then exporting it for? You Is it for a landscape uh, platform like YouTube or is it portrait? like uh, Instagram or TikTok. Yeah, they both, you both have to shift the elements there and uh, and make it work for each platform. So there's all that. And then finally, you get to the point where you export those files and it, that is, it, it, all of that is reduced into just MP4 and then you <laughs> you upload it and then, oh, it's like, oh, I've got to do the blog as well. Right, I'll do a little blog now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then it uploads and then you just, you just sit back and you have a coffee and you're like, okay. How big, how big is the original file that we're talking about here before you've squashed it down? The original files. So I, I record uncompressed on my camera. And so any part on there can be upwards of like one gig, gigabyte in size. Once I've mixed down my landscape edit, and it's all together, I then have to go through the raw files and delete them all because they take up too much space. Yes. <laughs> uh, like a lot of space. And then I, because I don't need them after that. But yeah, they, they, they can go, grow, grow quite large. I think the, the Star Trek one in particular, because there's just so many parts, I can't remember how many parts they're in it now, but I think it was like at the very least 12. It was upwards of about 15, 15 gig or more. <laughs> I think I think most people's computers would would have stopped working by then. Would have blown up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we listen to another one, Barry? And again, Absolutely. this this is a famous one. Super Mario Sunshine, <laughs> Defino Plaza. Why choose this one, Barry? I chose this one because although I'm not, I I haven't played uh, this particular game as much. This this track has always stood out for me, and it's always been really kind of jolly and and, and bright. And uh, it's one that I thought, you know, it, it would be fun to 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 attempt. So yeah, it's it's just a really lively piece. Super Mario Sunshine, Tofino Plaza, arranged and performed by Barry Griffiths. Thank you. 
Well, Barry, that's a happy piece, isn't it? Right, let's move on to a question from Geraldine Flume-Smith from Johannesburg. What has been your favourite piece? I don't know if you can answer this because you've done so many, but what, is, what has been your favourite piece to arrange and also to play online? Uh, yes. Now, the very, very first video game arrangement that I did on my Instagram channel, and it was one of the battle themes from uh, the Pokemon Red and Blue. Yeah, it was. Crikey, that's a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Like, I remember wondering at the time how the audience might receive video game music on the flute. And I, I didn't really have the, the courage to, to do it before that, um, because it was all still very new to me at that time. I hadn't really been doing videos for, like, too long. Um, so, yeah, I was hoping that there was some sense of uh, overlapping interests. And there was, which is great. The piece in question is, like, really quick paced and features heavy chromaticism in the opening bars which is like a staple feature of those battle themes like that's how they, they the introduction is to you know those themes it was really fun to arrange and i just distinctly remember that sense of relief when people actually enjoyed it but the reason i choose that is because it then really opened up the path for me to do more and more from this wonderful world of video game music that i then get to expose people to they may not have previously been familiar with well, what's really beautiful about all this is you're very accomplished on the instrument and that comes over in the complexity but also the simplicity of some of your, your arrangements that shouldn't put people off experimenting should it no no absolutely not and uh yeah it's every, every arrangement and every process to it is different and oftentimes i just find that it, the, the music speaks for itself and I think a lot of the time that's what I'm listening to like I'm listening to film music I'm li listening to game music it's it's my go-to <laughs> like, it's just what I enjoy and, and what I grew up with so I I find at that point where I'm making that transition and an arrangement of them that a lot of the times they the amazing work that those composers have done it just it just speaks for themselves let's do another one Metroid from Brinstar. Why have you chosen this one? I chose this one because, first of all, I, I really love the series. I've, I've played a, a few games in it, and um, Super Metroid on the Super Nintendo is one of my favourite games, and it's just incredible start to finish. Such a unique atmosphere to those games. Uh, it's It's like space horror <laughs> essentially as or as much horror that you can instill in in games of those eras but they really managed it they managed to capture um that sense of isolation but also because uh you know i i noticed more and more people requesting some tracks from metroid and uh, listening over it over the soundtracks I, I realized that this would probably be the most logical one to to start with because the starting point and it's such a lovely theme as well so do you do this by ear or do you get the score uh, so this one was done by ear because the, the original on the Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, there's only really sort of three channels, <laughs> you know, of music. So, so when uh, when coming to transcribe that, it's it's fairly straightforward. But then obviously you can expand. It. And I did I expand it to, to, to more parts. Just give it a bit of depth, you know. Well, let's take a listen.
lovely, lovely, lovely. Let's move on to Joe Allen from London. Ah, we've come home. So it's more of a statement, really. Can you tell that bearded man that we love his music and he brings so much joy in his social media? Oh, how sweet, Joe. So my question comes from a student of mine called Katie who asks how she would get into posting videos of her playing multiple parts. I haven't the foggiest. It looks very complicated. Over to you, good sir. First of all, it makes my day to hear that. And, um, you know, it's what keeps me doing what, what I do. So thank you so much for that for that kind comment. I really appreciate it. With regards to the, the multi-recording itself, this is something that I'm I'm asked quite often. And I think there's there's really two avenues and it, it depends what route you want to go down. If you want to be able to do this all on your smartphone, then I believe that there's apps like Acapella, for instance, that directly facilitate that. I'm not too familiar with the app myself, but I've seen others use it with great success. And it is certainly one of the most accessible and cost-effective means of doing it. And at the very least, an extremely handy starting point for those who wish to make multi-video content. If on the other hand, you wish to have like more control over the process creatively then for myself i use my laptop a camera and microphones when creating my content i mix the recordings and parts in an audio workstation so for example like logic or cubase or there's also free versions of audio workstations as well i think you know you could use audacity to a great extent if you're very familiar with that it'd be absolutely fine and then I edit all of the video and audio elements together in a video editor, uh, such as DaVinci Resolve or Adobe Premiere or anything of the likes, you know. And that's also where I get to add um, certain visual elements to the score, uh, to, <laughs> to the timeline, like uh, scores and highlighters and, you know, certain uh, presentational elements. I mean, for me, for this purpose, I have to recommend DaVinci Resolve, like just because it has an ex extremely generous, like free version with like practically like no limits. And I, I, I'm not affiliated with them in, in any means, you know, or form. It's just what I've been using for the last couple of years now. And I just really enjoy the workflow. And I think, you know, if it's free, <laughs> like, and it's just there, you can edit like many video layers on top of each other. Also at has its own inbuilt audio workstation called Fairlight that you can record your parts directly into. So in theory, you could actually do the entire editing process from start to finish within that program for free. All that it really requires is that you've got a laptop or computer that's actually capable of running it. So that is, that's a really, really valid option. And uh, I obviously, whenever anyone asks me, you know, what I use, I, I say I use that, but just because it's just a, it's a joy to use like and I've over over the years I've adapted my workflow and it's quicker and quicker for me to to then put out things uh, on there. It does take you know and there is an initial learning curve, but once you get over that, it's uh, yeah. So you've taken the simplicity into really in, in, into complexity because not only now are you putting up you playing multiple parts, you're also putting the running score underneath. And if it's a video game, you've got the video game running underneath. It is a really complex visual that you are now creating. 
<laughs> yeah, I started adding in uh, gameplay footage, uh, partly because the, the format now, you know, with Instagram and TikTok, it's it's purely portrait. So adding the elements together, I have, I, I try to ma- maintain a certain level of um, continuity. So I've got the video portions of me playing, which is actually still in landscape, the actual video portions, then the score underneath. And those two together make up a square format, which was the old Instagram yes. format. Yeah. Yep. And then the gameplay elements above and below that then allow it to be portrait. So it's, it, yeah, it, it, it all works out in some form or another. Yeah. Simplicity, complexity. You've turned the complexity now into a visual simplicity because actually it's, it's almost, it's almost impossible not to want to watch your videos through to the end because there's so much going on in the reel <laughs> or in the video. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing with social media as well because really where the videos with success they all grab your attention straight away or they are just seven seconds long or something you know like I don't know why it's specifically so I heard that somewhere yeah <laughs> so seven seconds yeah seven seconds yeah to then decide to do say a, a three minute piece or something like that it might not be the most productive you know engagement wise but I try to wrestle with that myself in that that's what I want to do. I don't want to do a, a seven second who like, I don't think people are going to enjoy a seven second piece of me playing and then just having to, having to move on. So yeah, if it's a choice between that and then putting out something that's three minutes long, you know, I think a simple fanfare composed by Barry Griffiths played on a selection of flutes, <laughs> seven seconds made especially for Instagram reels, TikTok, oh, yeah. and all that stuff. That's a great idea. <laughs> Now we got a great piece. Final Fantasy, the place I'll be returning to someday. I do you know I like that. The place I'll be returning to someday. There's lots of places I'd love to return to someday. <laughs> but I'm running out of time. Why choose this piece, Barry? I chose this piece because Nobuo Uematsu, who's the composer, is a legend in the video game world. His work on the Final Fantasy series is quite frankly unparalleled he has done so much and i for me personally i think that this number in the series is my my favorite soundtrack has my favorite themes in it and i think it's his most diverse soundtrack as well i i think um i think he spent a lot of time traveling europe when composing it and it's very uh medieval themed and I like to think that the name of this piece is somewhere that he particularly liked visiting. I don't know whether this is the case and that he really wanted to go back there. I think when you posted it, I said, um, it's, I think I messaged you and said, it's very parochial in how it starts. I could yeah. always visualize Henry VIII chucking a chicken leg over his shoulder. <laughs> yes. And I couldn't quite get that imagery out of my <laughs> <laughs> Barry, he had a beard. <laughs> Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. The place I'll be returning to someday for the Final Fantasy series.
you cannot underestimate the the beauty and the just the stunning compositions used in video games nowadays can you no no it is a different world and it, it's almost like there's the rule book what well, I, I think that's what i love about video game music is the rule book is almost thrown out you know it's it's very uh reactive because obviously when they're composing it they're probably giving a, a set of guidelines story guidelines or you know and then they have to then work with that with that knowledge that they're given they're given probably information about characters settings and then there's probably a continuous feedback loop between the composer and uh, and the director of, of the game so it's a it's a completely unique process of creating music and i think that shows in the material that, that these composers managed to put out uh, something's just come in barry from a martin doherty from belfast I, uh-huh. I was i put up a post on instagram this morning just saying who am i uh, doing a podcast with this morning george clooney or some other flute dude I think I gave the game away last week when I was asking people to come up with questions because Martin Doherty from Belfast has asked, Clash of Clans, what is that? Clash of Clans? Yeah. Um, oh, I'm not sure. It, it, I think it's a mobile game. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Clash of Clans. All he's put is Clash of Clans. He hasn't even said Clash of Clans music, but just Clash of Clans. I, 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 think, I think off the top of my head, it's a, yeah, it's a mobile mobile game. Oh, there's obviously, there's obviously music in that, isn't there? But um, Yeah. <laughs> well, I've said it now, Martin. Where can you see this taking you, Barry, in the future? How far can you take it? I mean, apart from doing complete symphonies, what can you... <laughs> what can... <laughs> What's the ultimate goal? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm very content at the moment just that having people enjoying what I'm putting out. I think uh, the, the ultimate goal is, uh, you know, a form of putting the content out on, on certain platforms like Spotify and what yeah. have you. Uh, and having a hub for people to be able to to enjoy this on their you know uh, wherever they go yeah f- for me personally it's a, yeah it's an interesting question I mean I, I would love to for example we were just talking about you know those, those concerts where people play play those works I mean to me that's just that's heaven <laughs> like I, lo- I love the thought of that is there where you could actually go and do a master class with and have nine parts up and then you play the tenth or is there a way? Um, what's the name's doing it? Jacob Collier is doing it, isn't he? When he does all these classes on how to use right. all these things that he does, is, yeah. there, is there something you could do that sort of engages the audience and shows them how to do it? Yeah, I'm sure there is a way. Um, there must be. I think in terms of for that, you would need to have a plan of how to stage. Okay. All, all to have it in sync and have it um but i mean I, I i'm sure that 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 would be possible i mean it certainly is possible in that you can monitor your audio when using an audio workstation you can also sync up um video elements with that you know so that that, that would be entirely possible that'd be an interesting class at the nfa wouldn't it video game music class by, yeah. by yourself that'll be that'll be that'll be <laughs> packed out because the generation today is the generation of video games, isn't it? Those that have grown up with video gaming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I bet that would be a, a lot of fun. So what's the rest of your day? The rest of my day is looking over holiday season works that I'm, I'm going to be recording and then considering New Year as well and just looking through existing arrangements because obviously sometimes I, I also play uh, arrangements by, by by other people as well. And uh, I've got a recording project at the moment that I'm working on, 
So yeah, uh, I, uh, an album uh, that I'm hoping to release early on next year. Oh, wonderful! An album, an album. Can you tell yeah. us more, or is this secret? Uh, well, it's um, it consists of works by French flute composers. Wow, uh, they've written for uh, flute quartet. So yeah. Uh, I've, I've been working on that over you know the last few months and yeah gonna be continuing on that returning back to your roots good sir absolutely absolutely it never never goes away and uh, it's uh yeah it's it's a beautiful era of of music that needs even more exposure i think well what's wonderful about you is that the flute repertoire isn't generally as big as other instruments you you've taken sort of modern day online and gaming processing and music and you're making this available for flute choirs to break away from the the classical arrangements uh so at the moment i'm working out terms with a a distribution uh uh, platform but that's not um currently they're not available you want to do it in a manner that's obviously you know everyone in terms of like rights and all that is distributed exactly how it should be it's really important and i think it's often overlooked um in the arrangement world you know uh, as as to yes. what yeah and it needs to be a process that's respected <laughs> yeah the copy, copyright is this is a it's a very important issue just like people shouldn't be photocopying because in photocopying you're not buying uh, yeah. the, the the work and generally composers they don't earn a good living so in buying a copy of their music, you are helping to support that artist. So yeah. in a, doing the arrangements, yes, you need to get the copyright approval from the for, well, whoever owns that copyright. And then yeah. once you've yeah. got that, then you can put it out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. With full credits. So we can hopefully in the future find your arrangements being played all over the world. I hope so. I, I would absolutely love that, yes. Oh. I'm often asked by, by flute choirs and you know as to how to get those works and yeah there's when it's done in, in the right way it'll definitely be be available well i applaud your your energy enthusiasm but also your integrity in wanting to do all this the right way and that really encompasses you barry not only a brilliant flute player a wonderful social media influencer but you're a generally nice guy and uh I would just like to thank you so much, not only for your the joy that you give to us all. I mean, no doubt your beard will be adorned with light bulbs and festive baubles during the Christmas period, as it normally is. That's definitely coming up. Yeah. See, you make us smile. And the thing with, with Barry, anyone who knows Barry will know that he makes you smile. There is... If, you, if you've got a low-down day, just go into Grizzly Flute on Instagram or on Facebook and it will make you smile. It lifts your spirits because that's what Barry does. So thank you for being Barry, Barry. <laughs> that is, that's really kind of you to say, Jean-Paul. Thank you. <laughs> now we're going to play out with a very, very famous piece, a very, very popular piece from Harry Potter, Harry's Wondrous World. And you made this really popular because you decided to dress up, didn't you? Yes, yeah. I haven't done many uh, cosplays during videos, but this is my favourite one to do, and it's it's you know it's it's quick to <laughs> to get together as well. Fun fact: the the glasses, um, because I'm looking into a, a you know yeah. a monitor when playing, I have to poke out the lenses. <laughs> There's no lenses <laughs> in the glasses, <laughs> otherwise they reflect onto onto the video. Oh, this is a really really beautiful piece. Everyone knows it, 
and it is just, I think it encapsulates Barry and a beautiful piece to play out to. So Barry, thank you so much for joining us this week and thank you all for listening. May your week ahead be musically fulfilling and may your Lucy be especially in tune because mine never is. <laughs> Bye everybody. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.